It took seven investigators to analyze 60,000 calls and texts. Because to interrupt a sex trafficking syndicate, you need to pay attention to every detail. Crime Interrupted, an AFP and Case File Presents podcast. Now, let's have a slightly different conversation than what we would normally on this show. I'm about to speak to Dr. Nicholas Gruen. You might remember Nicholas. We spoke to him a week or two back. He's from Lateral Economics. He's their CEO, and he's a sought-after consultant in many areas to many large businesses. Are you happy with the current crop of politicians on any level of government? I think I know what you're going to tell me. So why don't you get involved and make a difference? I think I know what you're going to tell me. Uh, Couldn't be bothered or how the hell do I get involved? I didn't go to the right school. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a union leader. I'm not this. I'm not that. So if we continue the way we are and with, I think it widely accepted that we're not too happy with the body politic. If we continue the way we are, nothing will change, I assume. Don't you? Which is why we're going to have this conversation. Bear with me here with Dr. Nicholas Gruen, who is on the line. Nice to talk. I hope you're well. G'day, Luke. I'm very well. Lucas uh, from Ohio. It's a a great story, this. And it's amazing where interesting stories and discussions come from. And and this... Mm actually happened to you on social media, didn't it? Correct. So I uh, make a bit of a spectacle spectacle of myself on shows like yours and have done so on uh, podcasts based in the United States. And I did a a big, uh, I did a long interview with a fellow called Jim O'Shaughnessy at around about Christmas time. And quite a lot of people from the United States kind of noticed this and I continued to get people uh, subscribing to my Twitter feed and getting in touch with me. And the thing that I was arguing in that podcast was in favour of the idea that in addition to the political institutions we have, we need an institution a bit like a jury, selected like a jury, that is simply random selection from the everyday population to kind of ground our democracy and instead of when people want to know what public opinion is they you know we get a lot of robo calls and people are asked for opinions about all kinds of things they frankly know very little about instead of that we have a body which like a jury has the time to go into both sides or however many sides there are of a story where everyday people can talk to other everyday people and say, what do you think, and change each other's minds and so on. And there is no such institution. And the more I thought about this, and I started thinking about this seriously around about the time when Pauline Hanson turned up on our scene, uh, the more attractive it became to me as a way to heal some of the worst aspects of our democracy and to do it in a democratic way, that is by involving the kinds of people who are who miss out. Who are the people who miss out? Well, the very the, the youngish. So if you're under 30, there's not many of you your type in the parliament. If you're over 75, not many of your type. If you're a woman, rather fewer of your type than the the, the than the uh, than the other type. 
But if you're not well educated, and well, I, I shouldn't say not well educated, if you don't have a university degree, you uh, more than 50% of Australian voters don't have a university degree, and 5% or less of our representatives have a university degree. So that is a huge problem. And so the voice of 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 certain people either is very faint or goes missing altogether. And this is something that people have latched onto. So this bloke, Lucas, contacted me over Twitter and said he was trying to establish by way of a citizens initiative, you know, a re you, if they can get a certain proportion of the population to back a, an initiative, they can put it on a, offer, have a referendum ballot. Mm. And he told me the story of how the previous year he'd been planning to stand for the legislature and he sat with his wife at the, uh, I guess, let's make it the kitchen table, might have been the family <laughs> room table, and she said, Lucas, you're full of it. Uh, because when people come to that question of why should we vote for you, most people's natural sense of modesty leads them to say, well, I don't know whether they should. Yeah. Well, that won't work on telly, <laughs> will it? No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's so exactly I told right. Him, and I told him the story of Mal Meninga, which had never occurred. So I'm a, I've been sort of talking about this for, well, since Pauline Hanson was around, so that's sort of 20 years, and it had never occurred to me what a fabulous story that is to illustrate that point, where a person's sense of shame, where their sense of, hang on, this is I'm going to be pretending all the time, I'm going to be doing all kinds of things that I feel uncomfortable with, enough already, I don't want to do this. Yeah. What a way to demonstrate how our democracy, for all its great things, and we have to be grateful because uh, look at where we were, look at where we were a few centuries ago. Indeed. But our democracy is built around those people who can assert themselves, those people who've got, like me, rather more education than might be good for them, and so on and so forth. And so that's. Uh, so we had a great conversation. I'm going to be continuing to talk to him and work with him. Yeah. One of the other points you made that I thought was um, most instructive is this idea of where the media fits in all of this. Now, mm. a jury, and you make this point about the jury, the jury have their slow, determined deliberations behind doors. There's mm. no, no uh, rubbish being thrown from outside. There's no mm. expert with a view about the length of time it's taken or every mm. little minute point. And mm. To, mm. to some extent, there's great value in the openness uh, that is offered by media access, but you do wonder how it affects the ability to, you know, gather in a room and, and, and come to a, a, yeah, a good conclusion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and what we've got is we've got a democracy which is completely obsessed with performance. And I don't think we can have a democracy that doesn't, spend some of its time thinking about performance, but it's just gone way too far. That's that's the issue. Um, and, uh, I mean, for instance, remember uh, the, the major parties ran them out of town, but um, we had a period of time when, which I call the randos in the Senate, and they were people who had about half a percent of the vote and they got seats <laughs> in the Senate. Ricky that's Muir, right. the motorists' yes. enthusiast party. Well, of course... Yep. That sounds like a joke, but the thing yep. is that 
these randos turned up in the Senate and guess what they did? They listened to the arguments and they said, this party is sounds all right on the radio, but when I go into it, I'm not going to vote for that. I'm going to change the way I vote because I've tried to pay attention. Mm. And there's almost none of that in our parliament because our parliament is... It, that's what it was kind of that's that's what people think its role is. But of course, if you're a an aspiring politician, you can't afford to say, oh, look, I don't think that my I don't think my leaders really made this point. I mean, you can be you can be given a conscience vote, but on all the important things of political combat, you you're not given a conscience vote. So mm. you vote the way you're told effectively. And you hope if you're a decent person you hope that these compromises you can say one day that they were worth it because you were able to achieve the thing that you wanted to achieve but of course plenty of people finish their political careers just as they finish various other kinds of careers wondering whether they uh whether they were kind of kidding themselves and somehow entangling their own interests in the interests that they should have been representing there's countries around the world where the availability of a recall election is a thing. So, as we know here, unless you do something uh, very ordinary, you're probably going to get through three or four years once you're elected and then probably get to go again and then Mm. maybe even even again. But um, these people that you're talking about, that we're talking about, the... Yep. The ordinary every, every everyday Australian that you know can look at things and come to a, a sensible conclusion and might want mm-hmm. to in the right circumstances. Once yep. once the polls declared, they're they're effectively closed out for another three yep. or four years. Yep. Do you like the idea yep. of recall elections? Uh, no, I don't, because it's the same mechanism of accountability, which is an election, and I think elections do very well. Thank you. Uh, I wouldn't mind, for instance, if there was a, I guess my, what I like the idea of is a standing citizen assembly. That is a hundred people or so chosen at random, paid to, uh, well, ideally maybe give up their jobs for a year and then they get rotated out and some other people come in. Uh, But, you know, they could just do a couple of weekends or a couple of days uh, a month, weekend days a month. Uh, so that's the sort of thing because what that does is it capt it doesn't capture the opinion of the people it captures the considered opinion of the people. So I'd be happy to recall a, a leader of government if, say, a supermajority of the citizen assembly said we're not happy, uh, mm. we want uh, we want to do something. So so we can make a mistake i think of we know that we're unhappy we know that we're dissatisfied and the art of this is to try to be more part of the solution than part of the problem and oh, i understand and, that i understand that yeah. so it becomes a recall does become uh, all about politics you're right you've only got to get a, a certain mm. number of people to um to trigger it and then yep. it's politics it's exactly what got you into the mess you're in, but I often wonder. So, and this hasn't happened to my knowledge, but if you elect the politician who says, uh, under in during my term, uh, the maximum tax tax rate will be fifteen percent, and mm. a month into his term at sixty percent, mm. you know, you you're, you're effectively trapped for three years. So you would say that this um, this body of let's say a hundred randomly selected citizens would mm-hmm. consider that, and there would be some 
and you wouldn't need to think about it for long in my view, but, but there would be some ability then to, what, send a bill back to the parliament or to, how, uh, how would well, that work? Well, there are lots of ways you can do it, but I tell you, when I started thinking about this, I was thinking of things that the Australian parliament had done that really were against the instincts of the politicians themselves, but they knew that it was good politics to do it. Mm. And and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to give the Citizen Assembly a very, very, a very small power. This is the power I wanted to give them. If they could, if there was a super majority for a particular, if there was a super majority for a particular position mm. and one of the chambers had voted against that position, then a supermajority of the citizen chamber could compel that chamber to have another uh, have another vote, which was a secret ballot. And what would then happen is that the parliamentarians who actually wanted to do their job and come up with the right answer, not the right answer for their party, but the right answer for their country, and knowing lots of politicians on both sides of the aisle, most of them want to do that, there mm. would be enough of them to mm. basically desert their party and then to convey the legitimacy of the official representatives of the people to say this is a bad idea. We've listened to ordinary people and this is a bad idea. So that's an example. But I think yeah. of this as like a check and a balance. So there's a one kind of... Uh, so there's one kind of democracy, which is electoral democracy, and I don't want to get rid of it. And if I did, who would care? <laughs> uh, and I want to enrich it. I want to enrich it with another kind of democracy, which is slower, more deliberative. It's got more women. It's got more people who don't have degrees from university. It's got more young people. It's got more old people. It's got more people who are missing out on the electoral system, which is much closer to power when you think about it, because how do you get elected? Well, you've certainly got to have a fair bit of money and so on and so forth. Yes, so yes. this is another way to do democracy, and it doesn't replace what we've achieved already. And I happen to be a big fan of what we've achieved already, which, of course, is flawed because we're just human beings. But it, but it moderates the worst of it. And it provides a whole new, a whole new heart for Australian democracy. And, and let me just let me just give you an example of this because I'll just sort of take you through the psychology. Let's say Mal Meninga had been asked to attend, to, to had been selected to be in a citizen assembly. I can I can take you through from having had some experience of these citizen juries in the past. I can take you through the psychology. Ah, oh, I've got a letter from the Premier um, or the Prime Minister. Gee, that's nice. So I feel flattered, even though it was a random selection. So I like the idea of going along. The day comes, oh, I'm going to go to this thing. It's going to be about politics. That means there'll be a demo out the front uh, and um, people will be yelling at me. I go into the room and then I see all these people and they're not yelling at me and they're actually feeling exactly the same way. Oh, yeah. They're just ordinary people like me. They're just everyday people like me. And then the fun starts because then people start getting this experience. I call it the when Harry met Sally experience, you know, when, when that scene where she says, I'll have what she's having. Yes. They, yes. they, they say, it, why can't it be like this? 
We're made for this. We evolved on the African savanna. The only thing that kept us safe from the lions was that we are the problem-solving species. We evolved as the problem-solving species. We're good at this. Uh, other primates are not so good at this. Uh, not even, Most species are not. That's what we're good at. And somehow we've kept that away from ourselves. And so if you take those 100 people, about about 90 5% of them will say it's been a good experience. About half of those will say it's been a very good experience. About half of those will say it's been almost life-changingly good. And about half of those will go and stand for local government at the next opportunity. It's a hugely more generative process than the kind of thing we watch these days. I tell you what, if we, and it's not mine, obviously, but if we kept doing the same thing and expected things to be different, then <laughs> we know what we are, which is why these yep. conversations are, are so very important. Dr. Nicholas Gruen, we will no doubt talk again. Once again, Sounds very good. stimulating conversation. I've enjoyed it greatly, as I'm sure our audience has, and I, I do look forward to our next chat. Thanks, Nicholas. Thanks, Luke. 